You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Minjir, and I'll be reading from 1 Samuel. There are three parts. The first one is from chapter 2, verses 12 to 21. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went out with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So, so then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. The second part is from chapter 3, verses 10 to 21. And the Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. 
And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the last part is from chapter four, verse one. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. These are the true words of the living God. All right, morning, everyone. Thanks, Minju, for reading the passage. <clears throat> Hi, morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Shi Hao. I've been a member in the Redemption Church for a while, of course, uh, in ECP as well. And um, it's my great privilege to be able to bring you the word uh, this morning. So before I, I joined RHC, I was um, at a church that was actually quite deeply affected um, by conflict and division within. Um, it was difficult. Um, there were opposing parties within the church, and um, I somehow also got caught up in it. And partly that was my own fault. And I, I then eventually left the church after a few years, um, feeling quite hurt, uh, feeling disillusioned with the leadership, and uh, quite disappointed with Christians in general. So I wonder if, um, for, for some of you here today, may have you know, experienced something similar, or, or even worse, um, where while going through it, you, you felt quite hurt um, by what happened, and at the same time, just wondering where, where God is in the midst of all this. So Israel in, in 1 Samuel is really in a, in a period of um, deep spiritual crisis. The book before 1 Samuel, which is Judges, ended with this verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So it sounds like complete anarchy, a complete lawless society. And in today's uh, passage in chapter 3, it adds, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So there was a deep malaise in, in Israel, and God was not speaking to them. It was as if the, the Israelites were entirely on their own. Eli and his uh, two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they are the priests um, serving God at Shiloh. And, and they are not just priests, they're not just spiritual leaders, but also national leaders um, in Israel. But instead of leading the Israelites in proper worship, the, the priests actually exploited their privileges for their personal gain. They abused their power and they also abused the people who were serving at the tent of meaning or the temple at the point of time. So there was utter spiritual chaos. And as we see Eli and his sons progressively walk towards disaster, we also see another family, which is Elkanah and Hannah, being blessed by the Lord. And their son, Samuel, grows up to become established as a prophet of the Lord. So we'll be going through quite quickly through the passages today, and we'll be moving about um, the passages. So I want to quickly give you the big idea of the sermon so that we can see the long arc of it, the big picture, um, before we are mired in kind of like some of the details of the characters. So this is the big idea of today's sermon, <clears throat> and that is, we see the failure of leadership by these priests, right? We, we see the failure of, the, of Israel leading other nations to worship God, the priests in leading the people in worship, as well as Eli in leading his family. But amidst all these failures, <clears throat> God continues his covenantal care in providing Samuel. This is an important transition as, as the Bible, as Israel moves from being led by judges to one led by kings. And God accomplishes his purposes with or without 
their cooperation or our cooperation. But our response to God's call really affects the outcome and it matters. Right? It doesn't matter whether you are a leader or not. As what matters is really in the end whether we honour and know Him. And we see this reversal of fortunes of these two families and the difference was really how they honoured God. Ultimately, God's the one who cares and leads us through Christ, the faithful priest, the anointed one. So whether you're someone deeply hurt by the moral failings of the church or by its leaders, or someone looking for redemption because you may have failed in these roles, we find our hope in God's covenantal care through Jesus. So as we, as we walk through these passages, right, we, we will, we'll see three points, we'll see three big themes, the failure of leadership, the practice of faithful worship, ending with hope in God's kingship. Right? So we'll be moving through the passages. There will be the uh, verses on a slide, but it'll be easier if you can follow it through uh, on your Bible or on your phone because the, the font size might be a bit too small, a bit too many words for you all, but this is really for us to guide ourselves through. Now, first, the first point, failure of leadership. That is the spiritual leadership of Eli and the priest. So Eli and his sons, right? The sons are described as worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Instead of performing their priestly roles, they abused it, right? They exploited the system for the personal gain in 13 to 14, and they even had sexual relationships with women who were serving at the place of worship in verse 22. In the original customary sacrifices of the Old Testament, many of the sacrifices were brought to the tabernacle. So a portion was given to God, a portion was given to the priests, and a portion was kept by the one who brought the sacrifice and the offering. So what exactly was wrong over here? So instead of specific prescribed portions designated by the law, such as the, the cheek, the breast, the shoulder, the priest basically just went for whatever the three-pronged fork brought up, and he kept it. Right? And in verse 15, instead of allowing the fat to be burnt. Right? They took the raw meat right, before that was done, before it was cooked. So that fat was a portion right, prescribed and specified to be given to God and always given first. And, and they took it, perhaps, you know, they, they could cook it the way they liked it, they could roast it, grill it, sous vide or something. Or, you know, maybe they wanted to sell the raw meat for profit. And if you don't give it, What's worse, they will take it by violence. Right? They will use violence to get what they want from the worshippers. So this is you know, absolutely appalling. It's like us you know, passing along tiding bags. I know we've done it electronically now, but you know, as, imagine us passing our tiding bags and then Perch comes to you, he grabs the bag of you, he takes out all the dollar notes and then nah, all the coins are for you or pass it along. Right? And if you don't give him a tiding bag, you know, he will use violence and take it from you. That's kind of like, I guess, what the priests were doing with the offering, right? So the sin of these, the sin of these young men was very great in the sight of the, of the Lord. So they failed to lead Israel and they did not honour God. Second, second sub-point, we see the failure of family leadership and parental care in Eli. So what did Eli do in the midst of all these abuses by his sons? So Eli knows what his sons are doing. In verse 23, he, he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. And he even emphasized to his sons the severity of what they were doing. In verse 25, 
If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So his sons won't listen. But perhaps we may think that at least this guy, this father, he's trying, right? He's trying to rebuild, he's trying to stop his sons from doing the wrong thing. But let's look at the subsequent verses from 28 to 36. 28. This is a man of God telling Eli. It's a prophecy against he and his family. Did I choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honour your sons above me by fettering yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honour me, I will honour, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So the family of Eli were the chosen ones amongst the Levites to lead Israel in the worship of God. They were to go up to the altar to burn incense, which really was a picture of prayer where the priests are supposed to lead Israel in praying. And they were to wear an ephod before God, which is a, sign, which is a priestly garment, uh, a sign and symbol of their authority and leadership. So what's telling from what the man of God said to Eli is that Eli was also complicit. Right? He's also guilty. He was involved in all these. His family have scorned the sacrifices and offerings for God. And Eli probably also has profited from all these illegal takings that we heard earlier. But more importantly, what the man of God pointed out was that Eli also honours his sons more than he honours God. He loves his children more than he loves God. And with this, the, the reprimand that he seemed to have given to his sons in verse 25 is probably more like a, a complaint, like a, a feeble rebuke. It's kind of like, you know what's wrong, huh? don't do it, right? Make sure you all don't do it and promise me, all right? Don't do it anymore. And he leave it as that, right? So it's a feeble rebuke. It's just no, no action, talk only, right? Simply that. So his sin is that of passivity, Right, he did about the worst thing uh, a parent can do right, in trying to correct their children. Basically, just talk. Talk and talk only. Right? And, and he, he really never took the necessary actions to correct the problem. And it tells us that he was probably more afraid of offending his sons than offending God himself. Because one concrete action that he could have easily done was to remove, him, remove them from priesthood. Which brings me to my third sub-point, a failure in positional leadership. Because Eli was the high priest, he was the leading priest of Israel. Right? His main responsibility was really to control his sons as their superior, as basically their boss. Right? And, and his sons were priests under his supervision. And this we will see later in verse 13, that his sons were blaspheming God and Eli did not restrain him. So he kept his sons in their jobs. He kept his sons as priests, right? And did not remove them in spite of their sinful actions. So that's the third failure in leadership that we see. So in sum, we see 
the family's failure in leading Israel in worshipping God. We see Eli's failure as a father in caring and, and, and disciplining his family and his children, his sons, and also his failure to guide them in his position as the high priest. And the outcome of this was very severe judgment for the family. And in the remaining verses of chapter 2, God tells Eli how he will cut off his strength of, of Eli and his family. He says to him, He'll cut off, I'll cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Right, so his family will be destroyed and Eli's family will lose the privilege of priesthood. And this will be later fulfilled in 1 Samuel 22 where Eli's descendants will be killed by Saul, the first king, leaving only one of his descendants, Abiathar, who escaped, but who then loses the privilege of priesthood under Solomon in 1 Kings. And at the heart, so at the heart of their actions was really how Eli and his sons treated God. And which is why God now declares, Far be it from me, for those who honour me, I will honour, and those who despise me shall be like esteemed. So, a few points of application for us at this juncture. Now, for, for those of us who are in RC or ECP who helps to lead or care for the flock, right, we, we may not be abusing the way Eli and his sons are in terms of our position, and we pray that that will never happen in RSC and ECP. But let's look into our hearts. Is, is our service and our ministry um, an opportunity for us to, to honour and glorify ourselves? Or is it our service and an opportunity to serve and honour God for His glory? Second group, for parents. Right, in how we care and, and lead our families, perhaps especially for fathers. Do we indulge in our children? Do we love them more than we love God? And indeed, the plight of the sons of Eli are very instructive. We know they are worthless men, and that's really because they did not know God. Which, which comes to us in knowing that the gospel is not something that we can take for granted in our families. Right? It's our responsibility as parents to pass down the personal knowledge um, to our children, personal knowledge of God, personal knowledge of the gospel to our children. Now, third group, right? if you are an Israelite then, what the priests are doing will probably be very, very distressing. So for us today, you could be someone you know, hurt by your experience in church, but there really is hope. The situation in my previous church was, was not as bad, but when I was going through it, I was very, very tempted to just leave the institutional church altogether. But I, I am personally, eternally grateful that God stopped me and led me to RHC. And this is where, in RHC, where my CG leaders really nursed me back to health to help me to recover from what I went through. So there is hope. And indeed, in the midst of this crisis in Israel, as we see in Samuel, God promises hope. The man of God spoke about how God will raise for himself a faithful priest in verse 35. And let's see how this is fulfilled in the remaining verses. So my second point, the practice of God honouring worship. So here I will return briefly to chapter 2 verses 18 to 21. Back to the other family, Elkanah and Hannah. So some, some context here first from the first chapter. right? So this is a couple who faithfully worships God. Elkanah goes up to Shiloh every year to worship and to sacrifice to God. 
So when, when they finally conceived their first child, they honoured their vow to God to give to the Lord, to give to the Lord Samuel right, all the days of his life. And, and this they did when Samuel was weaned, right, probably when he was about two to four years old of age. Well, I mean, I, I honestly can't imagine uh, how they did it. Right? It's, it's, it's probably very tough. Right? Hannah was barren, as we saw last week. And when she finally has her firstborn child, she parts with him for the service of the Lord. And at this point, she probably doesn't even know whether she'll have more children. And, and for me, you know, for Mel and I, I, I probably can't imagine, you know, with our firstborn, we just part with her and we don't even see her for the rest of our lives for perhaps only once a year. And think about it. For Hannah, it was at a time when a woman's worth was tied to their ability to have children. And, and she also suffered the years of ridicule by Elkanah's other wife. But yet, in spite of all this, she still honours God and is able to transcend all that. So we see back in this passage, in these verses, Hannah makes this, makes this cute little robe for Samuel every year and she passes it to him when he goes up for the yearly worship. Right? So I can imagine the reunion, the hugs, the kisses, you know, when they see each other for that rare moment every year. So in their God-honouring worship, God, in return, honours Elkanah and Hannah. They're blessed with five more children, and it's such a big reversal of fortunes, from barrenness to fruitfulness. And their son, of course, the boy Samuel, continues to grow both in stature and in favour with the Lord and also with men. So now let's look at Samuel, the rise of Samuel. In Samuel, we see how God continues his covenantal care for Israel. He raises a, a God-honouring leader who will help Israel as they transit from one being led by judges and priests to one being led by future kings such as David. So back to chapter 3. Now, Samuel was an extraordinary boy. He wears the linen ephod, and, which means that even as a child, he distinguished himself in his service to the Lord because he was exceptional enough to wear this priestly garment. Right, and Jewish records indicate that he's probably around 12 years of age, so a really young teenager at that point of time. And his job was to support the old Eli, the ailing Eli, who's getting quite old and quite sick. And um, part of his duties was to keep the lamp going in a tent of meeting. And in chapter 3, we see God calls Samuel. Right? He, he calls out to Samuel. And, and mind you, this is probably in the early hours, right? and you see this premise 6 boy, getting up three times right, in response to what he thought was Eli's call. His obedience, his self-discipline, you, you see no you know, snoozing, no complaint, no procrastination. He just says, here I am, here I am. Right? He responds with this, here I am, three words, whenever he hears that call. And, and this response links him to all the celebrities of, of the Old Testament. You know, uh, um, people like Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Isaiah, and also Ananias in the New Testament. But interestingly, interestingly, as you observe, in verse 7, right, it tells us that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Right? He did not know God. Right? And the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. He couldn't tell that it was God who was speaking to him. He confused that with Eli. He thought it was Eli calling out to him. Now, Samuel was, was a godly and obedient boy, serving God wonderfully. But still, he had not yet given his heart to God, to the Lord. 
And a quick point of application, it reminds us that even children raised in godly homes must be converted by the Spirit of the Lord. Right? We cannot take their salvation for granted. Right? And, and well-behaved children is really not the outcome of our parenting here. Right? It's ultimately about knowing or helping our children to know Jesus and to know the gospel. Now, back to the passage. Finally, finally, Eli does something good. Right? He knows the Lord. He perceives the God's voice calling Samuel and he teaches Samuel how to discern God's voice. So he tells him, go and lie down in verse 9. And if God calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So in verse 10, Samuel finally responds to the Lord. And God gives this prophecy to Samuel, which made his ear tingle, right? which is an expression used uh, when a especially severe judgment is pronounced. So this judgment repeats what the man of God pronounced in a previous chapter. And this time with the added emphasis that Eli's house has sinned to the point that it cannot be atoned by the sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel then retells this vision to Eli at his insistence and the chapter ends with how Samuel grew and was established as a prophet of the Lord. And this fulfills the promise and prophecy made earlier in chapter 2, verse 35. This promise, or this prophecy which gives Israel hope was partially fulfilled in Samuel, where when he uh, effectively replaces the sons of Eli. It will also later be fulfilled in Zadok, right, another priest in the days of Solomon, when he replaced Eli's family line in the priesthood. And most importantly, and ultimately, it's fulfilled in Jesus as our great high priest, who now sits at the right hand, of God. So the main point or part of it is really about the faithful obedience to God's word. Eli's fall and Samuel's rise shows us how it was contingent on the way they responded to the words of the Lord. Eli, because of his failure to obey and teach his sons the, the Lord's word, is therefore humble. But Samuel, even though he has never heard God's word before he was called, humbly listened and was lifted up. So this idea that the right to lead Israel right, in Samuel is really tied to listening and obeying God's word and the word of the Lord. And this is really a major theme that threads across the entire book of Samuel. And, and Samuel in this passage actually says, here I am five times, right? not just to God, but also to Eli, who has authority over him. So this is really a posture of his heart. And importantly for us, um, a, a lesson or, or something that teaches us about our posture of our hearts towards God. And it's really a beautiful way to respond to God's word, right? It isn't that God does not know who we are, where we are, but it tells God and reminds us why we are simply before him as servants asking what he wants us to do. Now, my last point and third point, hope in God's kingship. We would be making a mistake if the point of today's sermon right, is just follow the obedience or, or faithfulness of, of Elkanah, Hannah, or, or Samuel and avoiding right, the path that Eli and his sons have taken. So now let's take a step back and see the larger arc of the story beyond the details of what's going on in the lives of these individuals in 1 Samuel because this is ultimately about God's continued covenantal care for his people. 
even when they have sinned against them deeply. Because His love, God's love and God's care for us, right, is in spite of everything that we do. And that gives us hope as Christians. So back to how I, I started um, the sermon. Right? Like the worshipper at Shiloh, right, we may have suffered at the hands of the Hophnes or Phineas of today, who may have exploited their position um, intentionally or unintentionally, whether in churches, in schools, or in workplaces. We, we may feel disillusioned with the feelings of our church leaders or upset with the feelings of religious institutions. But God really is the ultimate leader and king that we follow. So don't let, don't let that cause us to lose faith and give up on Christianity. Or perhaps we are the ones who may have failed or, or caused this in, a, in the first place or we have sinned in the first place. Israel may have failed, Israel may have failed, but God provided. Right? We can start again. And in my case, in the, in the midst of the division in my previous church, I also sinned against a very dear brother of mine. I, I've said hurtful things in the midst of it, and it took me two years, two years after being in RSC, to go back to him, to find that, that courage to, to seek his forgiveness. Or perhaps you identify more with Hannah, right? You feel unworthy, unheard, unloved, or unseen due to a variety of reasons, because of your employment status or your barrenness. But what we see in 1 Samuel is that God knows. He knows our failures. He knows our suffering. He knows our barrenness. And He will deal with those who perpetuate such exploitation, just as how he cut off the house of Eli. So God cares for us deeply. Even when the Israelites have failed, God remembers his covenant made with them. So our Father in heaven cares, and he provides Samuel to lead the Israelites. So in these crises, in these failures, God is ultimately the one who is leading and guiding as you saw today. He accomplishes his purposes no matter what, so nothing stops or hinders the work of God, not even bad church leaders. And there's also a grand reversal here. God humbles those who are high and exalts those who are low. And God chooses the humble. In the eyes of the world, it may be the one who you know, stands on the stage leading worship or preach, whom people think are you know, the important ones or the ones who deserve glory. So Eli, Hophni, Phineas. They were the priests leading the sacrifices, leading the prayers, wearing the ephods clad in precious jewels. But Samuel, Samuel, he's the one who, who wears that homemade DIY robe, right? With nothing of that bling on his, on his, on his um, garment, right? And his job really was just to help Eli keep the lamb going, right? You can be doing God's word even if you're not leading, even if you're not in these public roles. Because at the heart of it, it's whether we know and honour God or not. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you, I mean, who you are in church or outside. But the bigger reversal, the bigger reversal is who we are in Christ today, in what Jesus has done for us. Because in Jesus, as Christians, we become God's beloved. From being a sinner condemned for eternity, we become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. In Christ, 
God raises for us a mediator and a faithful priest, the true king of Israel, whom we find our hope in. Eli, in his attempt earlier, in his rebuke of his sons, asked, If someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Indeed, no man can. And this shows the need for a mediator between man and God. Fortunately, in 1 John and the New Testament, John answers Eli's question. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We thank God that there is Jesus who now intercedes for us when we sin against God. So we may dishonor God, but Jesus honors him to the point of death on the cross. So when God says, far be it from me, for those who honor, God, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. We cannot honour God perfectly, and we know this in our hearts. But through Christ, we honour God perfectly, and that's where the reversal happens, and God blesses us in many ways. It may not be children, but it can be many different ways specific to our needs. And this is what John Newton says. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he beholds. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he beholds. So the priest and Samuel wear their priestly garment to offer sacrifices on behalf of Israel's sins. But Jesus is stripped naked on the cross, abandoned for God, by God for our sins. But on the third day, he will rise, right, leaving, behind, leaving, leaving behind a pile of folded clothes in his tomb. In Christ, this great reversal of fortune happens. And we will in turn surrender our dirty wrecks and as a church, pure, spotless, unstained, like a bride dressed beautifully for her husband, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Let me pray for all of us. Yes, Lord, for, for some of us here today who might be struggling with the institutional church, who might be struggling because of what we've gone through, what we've seen in, in churches elsewhere, or perhaps even you know, for some of us who might be non-Christians who are observing Christianity and churches from afar and see um, scandals and, and church leaders or examples of, of such things happening that makes you wonder whether Christianity or the gospel is true. Um, it is difficult. It makes us sometimes lose hope and wonder, you know, God, are you, are you here? Are you there? Do you know what's going on? Is, should I even put my faith in Christ? Is my faith in, in you even real when I, we see all these things? It, it is difficult, Lord. But Lord, we, we see here, we see here in 1 Samuel that in spite of these, Lord, actually you are the one leading and guiding and that there is hope because your love, your care for Israel and before us today is found in the covenant that you had with Israel, is found in the promise you made through Christ when he died on the cross. Right? Regardless of what happens, nothing, nothing hinders your work, nothing stops what you are doing through your church, through history, and your purposes and your promise, your promises will come through, will come through no matter what. Will come through for the church, 
will come true for us as Christians, will come true for us as individuals. Right? And we find our hope, we find our hope in you and the gospel in spite of these failures, whether of other people or our own. And when we sin against you, we know that there is a wonderful mediator. There's someone who can intercede for us. There's someone who, who loves us and, and, and prays for us and fight for our case at the right hand of God, and that's Jesus Christ, whom, in whom we know that we can honour you and in whom we know that we are your sons and daughters. And that is really the biggest reversal of all. And for some of us here who may feel unseen, unheard, unloved, Lord, help them, Lord. We pray that your spirit will be close to them, that they may taste your goodness, that they know that, Lord, they are wonderfully loved by you, that they are wonderfully cared for by you, even in their circumstances. So Lord, help us to find our hope in, in your love, in the gospel, and in Jesus. And help us to really taste it, really experience it in a real, visceral, tangible manner. Lord, we thank you and, put, and we entrust all this in your hands and pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.